Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is God's Trying, Drying Times. Deuteronomy 8, 1-3. And obviously I picked this passage special today in light of last week's tragedy. I just feel like uh, this was something our church needed to process as a church, but also not just because of this week, but also so many have been going through trials. And a lot of people say, oh, there's so many trials in our little church that, that, that really, for some of us, never seem to end. You ever get that feeling? Like, Is this trial ever going to end? It reminds me of that song, the song that never ends, but this is the this is a trial that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Well, you know, we just switch it to trials, right? And it just, it just seems like that. And I really probably could have called this God's trying, drying, crying times because that's, that's really what we've been experiencing. And we all have to spend time in God's dryer, in his drying machine, in his dryer, when it seems like God has forgotten us or is against us or we wonder just what in the heck God is doing to us. Probably nobody here can relate to that, but you might know someone like that. But God has a purpose. We're going to see today that God has a purpose. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to work something in our life. He's trying to deepen our faith or even bring us to faith. Many times that's what brings us to faith is the trial, right? Many of you have those testimonies. Let's pray first. Father, we, we thank you for your mercy and grace. And we thank you for your word and the way that you work in our life. And Lord, we thank you for the, the way you've brought us through a hard week. The trials that we know about, but many of us trials that no one knows about. We just pray that we would be encouraged and be drawn into a closer walk with you because of this, your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's pick it up. Just three verses, but whoo, wait till you hear these. Deuteronomy 8. Do be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Forty years in the desert. Talk about a long trial. Talk about the trial that never ends. Talk about the drying, crying time. Forty years in a desert. It was because of their disobedience, their parents' disobedience, really. It was the, uh, the effect of their lack of faith. They were refined through this 40 years. And the unbelieving generation had to die off. The parents that were unbelieving had to all die off. And then the new generation would be able to go into the land. And many times we do end up in a spiritual desert because of God's discipline, right? We, sometimes we can connect the dots and say, I'm here because I didn't listen to God's word. I didn't act in faith. I acted in the flesh. And we can connect the dots. And we have to go through a... God's discipline. And there's desert times because of that. But, but here we're seeing that not only was it discipline for the generation that died off, but he was also trying to accomplish something positive in the new generation. 
He was trying to do something in their life so that they wouldn't make the same mistake that their parents had made. And he was, he was, he was keeping this, not only the, the generation that died off, but the, the new generation, generation next, they had to go through the desert too because God was trying to work something positive in their life. And the first thing it says, remember how the Lord your God led you, verse 2, all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you. To humble you. What, he was trying to humble them. What does it mean to be humble? Zephaniah 3.12 is a really good verse on this. Zephaniah 3.12, he says, But I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. Who trust in the name of the Lord. See, meek doesn't mean weak. Everybody thinks, well, meek means weak. No, meek doesn't mean weak. It means strong and powerful because we're humble and we're depending on God's power. It's like saying, well, I'm not going to depend on my own strength to fight the bully. I'm going to ask Superman to come and help me. Well, you're stronger. You got Superman with you, right? And, and that's what we, when we're humble, we depend on God. We're depending on Him. We're, we're depending on His strength. We're, when, we, when we are humbled, we say, I can't do it, God. I need you. And that's the purpose of the dry time. When everything's going well, what do we say? <laughs> Who needs God? We don't say that, but we act like it, don't we? You know, I can do this. I got this. This is easy. I don't, I don't even have to pray about this. this is, I can do this in my sleep, right? When everything's going well, look what I can do. But when we're in the, we're in the desert, what do we start to say? I can't do it. We realize I can't do it. Think of Moses. Moses wrote these words from the, from the Holy Spirit. Think, he learned this lesson. Remember, he was going to deliver Egypt, so, uh, deliver the Israelites from Egypt. So what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. And God says, uh-uh, that's not how we're going to do this. He killed him in his own strength, in his own anger, in his flesh. He killed this guy. God says, out in the desert, 40 years. 40 years. Wow, God likes that 40 number, doesn't he? Just like the Israel, he had poor Moses all this desert time, right? 40 years, he's out in the desert, and then God recalls him. He says, Moses, it's time to deliver my people. And what did Moses say? Good, where's my sword? I'm a, I got this. Right? He said, I can't do it. Call somebody else. I, I'm not the guy. And he was ready now to be used by God. It's a time of, of humbling it's a time of waiting and listening when we're in the desert. It's a time of waiting and listening, learning to depend on God and wait for His leading. And it teaches us patience to be in the desert, doesn't it? I, I know when I get really frustrated about something and, and I keep having to go through the same frustration, I'm like, and then, I, then I, God's like, that's exactly why I have you here. I'm trying to get rid of that frustration. I'm trying to you know, work on that and work it out of you. And, and, it's, and that's how He works. And Deuteronomy 8.2 also says something else is going to, God is working on. Not only is he trying to humble them, but look what he says there. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. That's another thing that he's doing here. He's testing us to see what's in his heart, what's in our heart. He already knows what's in our heart. He's showing us what's in our heart, right? How? How does he test us? How does he show us in our heart? The true test, if we will keep his 
commands. Commands. That's the test. That's the test of what's really in our heart. John 14, 15, when Jesus said, If you love me, if you love me, you obey what I command. If you love me, you obey what I command. That's the real test of faith. That's the real test of our love for God. What's, that's the real test of what's in our heart. It's not what we say. It's what we do. Right? Valentine's is coming up. What if I gave Kim a nice, really nice card saying how much I love her, and I gave her flowers, big giant thing of flowers, but I said how much I love her on that, but then the rest of the day I just ignore her or I'm mean to her. Would that mean anything? No, it wouldn't mean anything, right? How do I really show love to my wife? Obedience. I do what she tells me to do. Obedience. I just like it. (laughs) No, it's, it's our actions, right? Our actions speak louder than words. I'm kind of kidding. But anyway, our actions. And that's why in Deuteronomy 8, 2, once again, he says the test to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The test is, will we keep his commands? Will we keep God's commands even when everything isn't going my way? That's real faith. Are we going to obey God? Will we be faithful? God's teaching us his faithfulness. Will we be faithful in dry times? If we're faithful in dry times, we'll be faithful in difficult times. And we'll be faithful in blessed times. That's a a key here. God is pruning us through these dry times. We don't like to be pruned. We don't like to go through the desert. But he's pruning us. He's preparing us for fruitfulness. But first comes the testing. The time of testing. First comes the humiliation. First comes the emptiness. First comes the ineffectiveness. And once we go through that time, in order to humble us, it makes us dependent. We learn to depend on him and his power for our life. And then even after that, we still need to get those little dry, maybe it's not 40 years, but here's the 40 minutes. You know, dry, he keeps he's keep having to put us in the dry real quick. You know, you got a little damp there, put us in and, and keep reminding us of that dependence, right? Fall on our face, why? It reminds us of our dependence, of, of our need of him. And look what he says here in verse 3. He humbled you, there's more to this, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We've all heard that before, right? In the book of Mark, Jesus' temptation. He, he humbled them so that they would be hungry, to, to give them hunger, so that then he could feed them with manna, which is the bread from heaven. And we all know that this is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed to be the manna. It was all a picture of Jesus. And, and we know this, this is Jesus. And, and this is the same today. Jesus, God humbles us to teach us that we need Jesus. Right? We would never come to him if we didn't feel that need and we didn't get broken we didn't have to surrender we didn't have to crawl to the cross we god humbles us to teach us that only he can only jesus can satisfy only he can satisfy it's not food it's not tv it's not the cell phone it's not the computer it's not a person place or thing nothing can fill that deepest need that we have only god through his son Jesus, can fill that. That that deepest hunger, the deepest need, can fill that hole in our heart that only Jesus could. And God humbles us and shows us that's the only way to find that fulfillment. 
That's what God works through in the dry times. And there's positives in the dry times. If you've... Uh, trees. I'll use trees. Trees, when, 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 uh, if you're, if you're a, uh, in the woods, and if you're walking through the woods after a bad windstorm, you'll see trees knocked down. And those trees that fall during a storm, if you go up to that spot where they fall, almost always it's a wet spot. It's a wet spot. And what happens is the trees who are in a wet spot, they, this is great, they, they live in that wet spot, but they don't have to send their roots down. Their roots are very, very shallow. And when the storms come, all, they, they tip over. But it's the trees that grow in the dry ground that have to send their roots deep, deep, deep down to get to the water. Those are the trees that survive the storms. And that's a positive in our life is when God sends the dry times, that's when our spiritual roots go deep, deep into, into God's word, deep into our relationship with him. Deep, it deepens our faith. So when the storms come, we don't get knocked down. We get battered, but we don't get knocked down because our, our, we, we've learned to depend on him and our roots are in him. And not only that, if you've ever worked with wood, you probably know that a tree during a, a dry season, if you ever cut trees, you see that you can tell when it's a dry season, when, it, when it's a dry year, a wet year. Because a wet year, the, the, the wood rings are very wide and, and large. But when it's a dry year, they're very close together. And the wood that grows in a dry climate, the, the, the rings are very, very close together. That is hard wood and, and very strong wood. And if you're a carpenter, guess what you want to use? It's not the punky wood. It's the dry, it's a, the, the hard, dry wood that grew in the dry climate that is better to work with. And that's another thing. If we go through these dry times and allow God to grow us through these dry times, we're going to be useful in the, the master's hand, the carpenter's hand. Jesus the carpenter. But there's also some dangers. I want to mention these before we get to communion. There are some dangers in dry times that keep us from sending the roots down, that keep us from becoming useful in God's hands. There are some dangers, and I have three M's. I want to have three M's so you can remember these. The first one is moping. Moping. We get discouraged, so we start to whine, and we start to miss out on what God is trying to do in our life. I don't know if you remember the story with Moses taking the Israelites through the desert. They never whined, did they? Oh, yeah. you know, they were, and they, they came to this area and the water was bitter and they called it Merah. And they were all whining, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? We don't want to be here. Take us back to Egypt. You know, the whole thing, they are a whole rigmarole. Nothing. We would never be like that. And so they start complaining. And then, and then after all that, turns out they were just a hop, skip, and a jump away from this beautiful oasis with all this great water. Well, why didn't God just take them there? He wanted to show them what was in their hearts. And so many times we do the same thing. We, we're missing out on what God's trying to do because we're moping and whining and complaining. I think of my kids, and I, I like to take a lot of walks with the, with the kids. And I'll say, uh, I'll say, okay, let's go for a walk. And yeah, yeah, let's go. No, no, ah, it's hot out. We don't want to do it. You know, the first response, we don't want to do that. Then I say, oh, come on, we're going. I go, well, where are we going? I go, it's a secret. 
I always say it's a secret, but you're going to be glad you went. You'll be glad you went. And what I really want to do is take them on a long walk and get them into shape because they've been sitting around. You know, I got to get them going, right? And get them out of the house for Kim's sake, you know. Uh, but, but I can't say that. And it's the same with God, right? Doesn't he do the same with us? He has a spiritual goal in mind for us. But, and, but he doesn't tell us right up front what it is because we wouldn't take the first step if we knew what he's going to take us through. But if we could see the result, we'd be okay, right? And it's always an adventure with God. It's always a walk of faith. And I wish, when I take the kids on these walks, I wish I had a videotape because uh, we've had some real adventures. But we go for walks and we're out picking berries and you know, we're out there and eating berries out in the, out in the woods. And, and people will stop by and say, aren't those poison? You shouldn't be feeding your kids those berries. And I'm like, please, you know, I, I grew up on these things. You know, it's crazy. Everybody thinks berries are poison. I mean, some are, but most berries aren't. So anyway, I'm always going to educate half the neighborhood. They don't report me. But, but one time this summer, we were out walking, and I do try some berries, and it, it numbs my tongue. I say, don't eat that one, because I'm not sure what <laughs> certain ones are. Certain ones. But... Um, I don't let them eat the ones I, that I know. Uh, but, but we did find these really cool plants out in this field out in Timbuktu out there. We were hiking, and they're really wild. I can't even describe them, but they had like a stem, and they came out, and they kind of had like these horns. And then at the end of the horn, there's these bulbs and all these wild-looking seeds. And I'm like, these are really cool. You know, let's bring them on. Like, once in a while, we'll dig up a jack in the pulpit and plant it back here and let it grow. I was like, these are really cool. Let's bring these home. And the kids are like, yeah. So we're all, all of us. I had six of them, I think, with me. We're all pulling these plants up real careful with the roots. And we are carrying them back, you know. And, and we got about halfway back, and I called Kim and said, come and get us. We can't carry them all the way back. She picked us up at Fox Run or whatever was over there. And so we were... We are all going home. We're all excited. We get them, and I'm setting them down, and I'm planting them. And, and I said, go find out what kind they are. And so Chicky went inside, and she's Googling. And she goes, come out. She said, Dad, they're poison. I go, what? He goes, they're really bad. They're called devil's horns or something, and, and you should never touch them. I'm like, wash your hands. Wash your hands. You know, stomping on them. You know, so, uh, and I take them some very difficult places. They're hard. You, know, you can imagine little... D trying to follow us through the woods and climbing and really, and I say stay close to me stay close to me because and that's what God says to us stay close to Him uh, these t- difficult walks stay close stay in the Word stay in prayer stay close and and then I say follow me walk where I'm walking because I go through all these high weeds and everything and every once in a while one of them will go I'm gonna go this way why is Dad zigzagging like that I'm just gonna go this way next thing they're crying they're stuck there can't get out of the nettles or they're in a creek or something and and the reason is because my winding doesn't make sense to them but. I'm a lot taller than they are, and I can see ahead. So my winding does make sense. I know what, where we have to go to avoid nettles and creeks and all that. And, but, but that's the same with us. A lot of times we're like, God, this doesn't make sense. Why are you taking me on this winding path? Right? And we start to whine. And, and, but God's a lot taller than we are. He can see a lot further ahead than, than, we, can, than we can, right? And then, and then oftentimes, and it's always, I can name who they are, but I'm not going to. But there's always a couple that whine and complain, the same ones every time. Complain, 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 whine, whine. And, and they miss out on all the fun. And I say to them afterward, I go, why were you whining? Look how much fun we had. Was it worth it now? You know? And, and they'll be like, no, I shouldn't have, but then they do it again. But anyway, uh, nobody, nobody, none of us are like that, right? 
But they, they miss out on the fun and the purpose when they're whining. And the, and, and the goal is for me to toughen them up. And that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to build our spiritual muscle. And then sometimes they really get stuck. They get stuck. They can't get over a log. They try to crawl under there. I mean, they just can't go any further. And guess what I do? Just stay there then. You know, no, no. I pick them up. When they really can't go any further, I can tell. I pick them up and I'm carrying, you know, sometimes I'm carrying a couple of them, you know, out of the woods or over a creek or something. I carry them. And, and God knows how much we can handle. And he carries us. You all know the Footprints poem. When we really can't handle anymore, he does pick us up and carry us. And we always end up always end up having a lot of fun. We end up in a cool place. We usually end up dirty and soaking wet. And we find, we come back with some fish or some fossils or some arrowheads or something. We always do. And if they really stay positive, we take a walk over to Wawa. We, I always circle over to Wawa. And they always can tell. When it, only if they're positive. I do it every time. But, but if they're really positive, I start to circle through all our walks and they're like, we're getting near Wawa. And then, they are, and then they're walking really fast, you know. And, and we go into Wawa and people are like going to call the, you know, to report me because these kids are, you know, carrying poisonous berries and, and uh, they think they're poisoned, you know, and, and they're all mud and, you know, you know, but we have a great time. And, uh, and I always say, we get, get something colder, colder, wet, colder, wet. That means something cold to drink or something, I mean, uh, ice cream cold or wet, something to drink or ice cream cold, something cold or wet. But here's the thing is, the fun, we get done, and they all, they're all smiling. And I'm always like, why didn't you just trust me on this? In the end, it's going to be okay. Because we miss out on the fun, on the walk with God. We miss out on, we miss out on the adventure. We, we miss out on what he was trying to accomplish. We miss out on the joy, even though it's painful. But in the end, it's not going to be. We get to heaven someday, it's not going to be painful. We're going to be spiritual muscle by then. He's, he's accomplished his purpose in our life. But there's a danger that if we're, we're whining, we miss out on that. And it's also another danger that we, that we can miss out on is we try to manipulate we try to manipulate. We try to meet our needs our way instead of waiting for God. Through the dry times. That's what Jesus' temptations were. Remember, he was walking through the desert, turned those stones into bread. He, Satan was trying to tempt him to disobey God instead of fasting. He was trying to teach him to disobey his father and to, to, to meet his needs his way. And he could have done it. But we face the same temptation, don't we, in dry times? We, we try to manipulate, instead of waiting for God, instead of learning what he's trying to teach us, we try to manipulate and, and, and do things our way. Maybe money is tight, so what do we do? Instead of waiting for God, we try to cut corners. We try to make things happen. We, you know what I'm talking about. We, we cheat on our taxes. We don't tithe. We manipulate in many ways when it comes to the money. With, with sex, we say, well, God, I can't wait for you to bring the right person for me to get married so they can you know, have sexual relations, or my spouse isn't meeting my needs, so I'm going to meet my needs my way or dating and marriage you gotta i you're i can't i just don't trust you're gonna bring that christian soulmate so i'm gonna go out looking my way for the person i want or my husband isn't who i want him to be so i'm gonna nag him instead of loving him and 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 praying for him i'm gonna nag him i'm gonna take it into my hands or you fill in the blanks i'm just giving you a couple I'm priming the pump. <laughs> we could all put a lot of 
way, think of ways that we have manipulated instead of waiting for God. And the last one is the most dangerous one of all, and that's mad. We can get mad at God. We, it's just, it's, we're especially vulnerable when we're going through, we face a shocking loss in some way. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a loss of our life goal or a goal that we had for somebody in our family. Maybe our spouse cheats on us. Maybe our kids crash. Maybe the money just disappears. You know, it's just gone overnight. And we're very vulnerable when we face those kind of shocking losses. Are you mad at God? Are you in a desert and, 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 and something in your life has dried up that doesn't make sense? And I, I know we all get mad initially, but we've got to work through it. We've got to work through that in faith and, 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 and reestablish that trust with him. But are, are we mad at him? I, David Wilkerson, before he passed away some years ago, he wrote an article, and I, I never forgot it. it was, uh, he wrote, Are You Mad at God? And I kept this because it just really hit me. He talks about a biography they read by, uh, about a, the biography is called Aggie. It says, in 1921, two young couples left Sweden to go to the African mission field. They went to the Belgian Congo, which now is called Zaire. Uh, Their names were David and Sve Flood and Joel and Bertha Erickson. And uh, they went, both couples gave up everything they they had, and they said, we're going to go to the mission field, we're going to follow God. They arrived in the Belgian Congo, they took their machetes, and they literally had to hack their way through the jungle to get to some tribes. They were just infested with, you know, disease and and, and insects. And and David and Svei, the floods, had a two-year-old son named David Jr. They had to carry him on their back. They both caught malaria. They kept going forward. They had all this zeal. They were like, we're going to be martyrs for God. We don't care. We're going to reach these people. They finally reach a, a, a village, and the villagers said, you can't come here. The witch doctors didn't want them. The, 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 our gods will be offended. They went to another one. They wouldn't let them in. Either one, so they, they had nowhere to go. The, village, the, the tribes that were trying to reach would not accept them, wouldn't let them even into the, the villages. So they, they found a spot in between the two villages, and they set up a little camp, and they just prepared uh, they built their mud huts and, and, and they tr- tried to reach those tribes, but they were very, very resistant. They were lonely. They were sick. They were malnutrition. Little boy was very sickly. After about six months, the one couple, the Erickson, said, we're, we can't do this anymore. We're going to all die. We're, we're heading back. They, they traveled 100 miles back to the, the, the mission station. They hiked back. But the 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 floods couldn't go because his wife was pregnant now. She was pregnant, and, and she had malaria. And, uh, and on top of that, David, the, the dad, said, I don't care. We came here, and whatever it takes, we're going to stay here, and even if it costs us everything. So his wife had this terrible fever for several months as she's getting, time, getting ready to have the baby, and, but she didn't waste her time. She kept trying to witness, but nobody would come. Just one little boy came. One little African boy came. And every day, in spite of her fever, in spite of being many months pregnant, she kept sharing Jesus with this little boy. Kept telling him, kept talking to him. Not even sure if he could understand. 
he just smiled a lot. And then it came time to have the baby, and she delivered a healthy baby girl, but she was so weakened from the malaria that she ended up dying right after giving birth. She said, before she died, she said, call our girl Ana. David was, the David the dad was badly shaken. He built a little crude coffin out of wood, and he went over and buried her in a rough little hillside there. And as he threw the last shovel of dirt on, he lost it. He lost it. Have you ever lost it? The bitterness crept into his heart. And he got very, very angry toward God. And he said, God, how could you do this to us? How could you allow this to happen to my, my beautiful wife? We spent a year in this jungle and everything, we have nothing to show for it but one little kid who keeps coming over. We're not even sure what he really understands. You failed me, God. It's been a waste of my life and a waste of my wife's life. He grabbed his children. He heard the baby crying. He went over. He just, he just flipped out. He grabbed the kids, and he starts hiking back. He hikes all the way back, and he hands the, kids, hands the little baby to the Ericsons and said, You take her. I don't want her. I can't take care of her. He got on a ship and sailed back home to uh, Sweden back to Sweden on the ship. And he was so angry. He said, I, I gave everything to God and God let me down. He started a new business. He married his wife's sister who was not a Christian. He married his wife's sister and he told everybody, don't, I'm going to become a rich businessman and don't ever mention the word God in my presence. And anybody who ever did, if they ever accidentally said God in his presence, he went into a furious rage. Furious rage. He began drinking heavily. He became a broken alcoholic, uh, just drinking, drinking. Meanwhile, the Ericsons who had the little girl, they died. They think they were probably poisoned by one of the witch doctors from one of the tribes. But the little girl was handed to an American couple that were missionaries there, Arthur and Anna Berg. And they took her and adopted her and made her their child. And they were in the northern Congo. And in time, the Bergs went on furlough to America, back, back to Minneapolis where they're from, and they ended up staying in the U.S. after that. And she ended up marrying uh, Dewey Hurst, who became the president. of Northwest Bible College. She never knew that her father had remarried. She didn't know much about her father. She always wondered. She kept reaching out. She never heard back from him. But... Uh, he had remarried, had five children with his new godless wife, and, and he raised five godless children uh, because he was so bitter. He was a terrible alcoholic and, and bitter man. And so she just really wanted to locate her father and find her, him before he died. And they finally bought tickets to go to Sweden. On the way to Sweden, they were crossing the Atlantic. Back then they would take the ship, obviously. They, they stopped in uh, London for the layover, and she decided to take a walk. They walked by a church and they saw there was a mission convention going on. They go inside 
and there was a, a black preacher speaking, talking about the great work of God that was happening in Zaire, the Belgian Congo. This story always gets me. She said, went up to him after the service and said, did you ever know my parents? They were missionaries. David and Sve Flood. He said, yes, your mother led me to the Lord. When I was just a little boy, They had a little daughter, but I don't know what happened to her. She said, it's me. She's now, her new name was Aggie. They had nicknamed her Aggie. It's me. I was the girl. And they were just so excited. They hugged and wept for joy. He had grown up to become a missionary evangelist in his country. which at this time now, through his work, had 110,000 Christians. Th- 32 mission stations, several Bible schools, and a 120-bed hospital. The next day she left with her husband for, for Sweden. She found her brother who was shriveled up gray-haired man who grew up bitter and was also an alcoholic. He brought her to her father, entered a run-down house which was littered with liquor bottles everywhere, and there was her father, now 73 years old, suffering from diabetes, a stroke, cataracts, covered both of his eyes, all because he had abused himself so badly. And she came and said, Dad, I'm your little girl, the one you left in Africa. And he was crying so happy to have her there and he said I never meant to give you away and she said that's okay daddy God took care of me he went berserk he went berserk he said God didn't take care of you he ruined our whole family he led us to Africa and then betrayed us Nothing ever came out of our time there. It was a waste of our lives. Aggie then told him about the black preacher she had just met in London and how the country had been evangelized through him. It's all true, Daddy. Everybody knows about this little boy convert. The story is in all the newspapers. The Holy Spirit fell on David Flood, and he broke. He cried and repented, and, and, and God restored him to his faith. But shortly after that, he died very quickly, a very short time after that. And although he was restored to the Lord, his family never came to Christ. The children all remained bitter, his wife bitter, and all unsaved and, and bitter. She wrote down the whole story of this experience, and, and as she was working on it, she developed cancer. And she died right after this, after she finished the book. 
David Flood represents each of us when we get angry at God. We've all been disappointed. But if we allow that disappointment to turn into not just wrestling with God, but to morph into anger and rage against God. And this is where most rage against God starts. Anger it starts with disappointment. Because many times God calls us. He calls us and he burdens us and he sends us somewhere to, or to do something. But then he makes changes. David Wilkerson says, and I love this way he ends it. He says, he makes changes without including us in his sovereign plan. Then when things don't go as we planned, we can feel misled or betrayed. Maybe you're here today and you're mad at God. I hope, I, I pray that you'll work through it in faith. Somehow trusting that God has a plan. How is God speaking to us today as we go to communion? Are you in a dry time, a desert time? Is it because of sin? Because God does discipline us and sends us out into the desert because of sin. And that's an important part of communion is repenting of whatever in our life is keeping us from that intimacy with Jesus. Or it's not sin, is God trying to teach us something? Is he trying to accomplish a purpose in our life? Are we fighting that purpose? Are we willing to wait and to pray and let God refine our flesh and, and, and burn the frustrations, fleshly frustration out of us? Are we moping or manipulating or mad? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe that's what God is trying to accomplish in your life right now. He's trying to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we will surrender to him. He's trying to bring us to that end. Just like Saul had to be blinded and knocked to his knees before he could become Paul. And communion is a great way to end this, this passage in, in God's purpose in his drying, trying, crying times. Communion is a time to reconnect with God. It's a, a time to make things right with God and man. And what it is, is, is we, when we take the bread and the cup, we're remembering the body that Jesus gave on the cross and the blood that he shed on that cross and for us, for our sins, that paid for our sin, that made it possible for us to reconnect with God. And, and maybe that's... That's what it is. How, how we take it, we just have a, a, a time of some worship time, worship music playing. And when you're ready, just come forward and take, take it and take it back to your seat. You could take it by yourself. You could take it with your family, with your a good friend. However you feel led to take it, there's no right or wrong way to take communion. It's between you and God. But there's reasons why we shouldn't take it. If we're not a Christian yet, the Bible says don't take communion. It's the Lord's Supper for those who have given their life to Christ. And if you haven't yet, that's okay. Just use this time to pray and, and prepare for hopefully becoming a Christian. That's okay. Uh, another reason why not to is if there's sin in our life and we're not willing to surrender it. I didn't say we have to be perfect. None of us could take communion. But, but if there's something God's convicting us, he's been knocking on our heart. We're like, no, God, I won't open that door. You can't have this one. Then wait. But I hope today that we will surrender and say, God, you can have this. 
I need your help with this. I need your help with this struggle. Let's pray to prepare. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? Maybe you're here saying you're not a Christian. But God is bringing you to your knees. He's bringing you to the foot of the cross. On our knees. The end of ourselves so that we'll surrender to him. This could be the morning, the, the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you need more time, keep wrestling, keep praying, keep on your faith journey, but this might be the day, the day of salvation for you. The Holy Spirit has prepared your heart. Are you ready to surrender? To give your life to Jesus Christ? To pray the prayer of faith? To say, God, I... ask you to forgive my sin. Anything in my life that goes against your word and your purpose, your will for my life, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Because I believe in Jesus. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus who died in my place to set me free. who gave his body and blood for me to wash me clean. Forgive me, I'm putting my faith in Jesus and I'm going to follow you, God. I give you my life. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you can now commune with God any time as your father. You don't need a communion service, which is a great reminder, but you can commune, you can connect, you can talk to him any time as your heavenly father. You can ask him to help you with any struggle. You can ask him to forgive you for anything you've just done. You can ask for grace to help you through, through for anything. He's now your heavenly father. And as you get to know him, you're going to know peace and joy and purpose like you've never known before. And it starts with communion today. You can take communion today for the first time as a child of God. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you make that decision, if you pray that prayer and give your life to Jesus, let somebody know. Tell me on the way out, fill out the card, text call, tell a family member, a friend, anybody. Let somebody know that somebody here with you, let them know so that we can encourage you and be excited for you in your new faith. For those of us who are already Christians, as we're preparing for this communion, how is God speaking to us? Is there sin in our life that God is disciplining and that we need to repent of so that we can be restored to that close relationship with him? And every day we keep asking for forgiveness because we just constantly need that, that cleansing. Or is God working something in our life? Are we fighting against him? 
Are we willing to wait and allow them to work? Have we been trying to mope or manipulate or get mad? What is he trying to work in our life, in and through us, this communion service? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move and speak to us now as we meet with you in communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.